my privilege to introduce our very special guest this morning. He and I have spoken on the phone numerous times over the past several months, and I know his heart is like our heart. We love the Lord Jesus. We put our faith and trust in him, and we want to spread the word of God so that others might come to trust the same Savior that we know and love. I feel uh, for our church, we are blessed to have uh, Cameron McGill with us this morning, and I say that uh, for several reasons, not the least of which, Cameron keeps up with two different congregations already. Uh, He pastors First Baptist Church, Dublin, North Carolina. How many of you know where Dublin, North Carolina is? Six of you. <laughs> I'm teasing. But then he has another group, uh, and I have seen pictures of this other group. It's called the Lake Church at White Lake. And uh, it's interesting, his schedule, I don't know how he keeps it up, uh, but he has uh, the uh, service at the Lake Church early, and that is a very casual service, as I understand it. Uh, and then... Uh, when the Lake Church is over, Cameron hustles home, showers, puts on a coat and tie, and goes to First Baptist Church Dublin and preaches. So uh, he, he maintains a very busy schedule, and I, for that reason and for others, I feel we are blessed and honored to have him this morning. Um, chatting with him before the service today, I said, uh, Cameron, is there anything you want me to say? in particular about you, uh, as I introduce you this morning? He says, just say, here's Cameron. <laughs> Wake Chapel Church, here's Cameron. <laughs> Welcome, brother. God bless you. God bless you. Man, what a blessing. I feel like the country has come to town, though, i got to tell you. <laughs> uh, what a blessing. And some of you I know, you've been to the Lake Church, and uh, we're grateful for that, and you sharing... Uh, some of your folks throughout the summer. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter number 4. This morning looking at the words of Christ, and I believe if the entire New Testament were to be summed up into three basic phrases, we find them in this particular chapter. I'm excited to see the church meeting house full this morning. I passed probably a hundred or more churches on the road this morning, and most of them, there was nobody there yet, and I'm not used to that. I'm used to being at church about 6.30 on Sunday morning, and uh, so I was grateful when I got here and saw the church full, and Pastor, I can't wait to see what it's going to be like tonight when you all go and bring your friends back. Man, this place is going to be packed, so I want to encourage you. How many of you have ever read the book or seen the movie, um, The Wizard of Oz? Man, that's a spooky movie. All those little flying monkeys. Well, tonight we're going to be looking... At this, and I want to encourage you to be back and to bring people with you. Lessons learned from the land of Oz. We're going to go back and we're going to remember that movie or that book, and we're going to look at some biblical truths that I believe you can take with you and it'll impact your life, and you'll never, ever, ever be the same. This morning, though, looking at these words of Christ that we're honored and uh, just privileged to be here to share, not only this morning, but all throughout the week, and we are expecting. And looking forward to and uh, excited about revival. Now this particular text, Matthew 4, beginning in verse number 18, it is a short, brief passage tucked between the temptation of our Lord Jesus 
and the Sermon on the Mount. Before Jesus would actually begin his ministry, he had to call some help. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter how good your pastor is, doesn't matter how good your music uh, program is, doesn't matter how good your youth program is, everybody needs help. Everybody needs those to come around them. And, and may I say to you, some 2,000 years after these words of Christ, he is still calling to you and me today. You say, how can it be that the God of heaven could need us, could need our help? Friend, I don't understand. But God chose us. He's redeemed us and He's redeemed us not that we sit on a pew waiting on the glory train to come and take us to heaven. But He's called us to be co-laborers. He's called us to be active parts of what He chose to call the church, the body of Christ. We understand what discipleship and disciple making is all about. But let's look together briefly this morning at the call of four fishermen. Verse 18 And Jesus was walking by the sea of Galilee. And he looked and saw two brethren, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea. Now in other texts that we find this in, in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, we find a few more details, but but just note that they were doing what they did every day. In this room there are those that are lawyers and those that are accountants, those that are teachers, those that are insurance agents, those that are used car salesmen, and a few preachers. You each have those things that you do. You do them on a daily basis. And you might think today, well, that would prohibit me or that would keep me from from serving the Lord. These men were simply doing what they did. God doesn't always call us to abandon everything, but in this particular case, He did. Verse 19, And Jesus said unto them, Now little did they know exactly who they were speaking with, But he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says, and they immediately or they straightway left their nets and they followed Jesus. Young people, it's important. We get this now, children, teenagers. Notice they didn't question, they didn't argue, they didn't rationalize, they didn't reason out, they didn't make excuse. They just immediately left their nets. So when your mom and dad tell you to make up your bed, just immediately go do it. Amen? And they followed him. Their life was changed by this decision. Verse 21. And he went on from there and he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a ship with their father, mending their nets. And he called them. He called them as well. And again, they immediately left the ship. And even their dad. And they followed him. Father, in the moments that we have to share your word this morning, I pray that we might hear from heaven, that you might speak to us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and and do your work your way. Father God, I pray that your invitation would be more than to these fishermen, but your invitation would be prompt and and profound and perpetual today as, as, Lord, you call out in this place. Lord, the future leaders, the future followers, the future teachers and preachers and and those who will come and and, and get involved and get plugged into the work that you've called us to do. I'm thankful that you don't call the overqualified, but you call the underqualified. I think that you don't call the, Lord, those who have eloquence, but you call the simple. And Father, every person in this room is a person that you would call. But Father, I pray that before the end of this service, Every person in this room would be one who would follow. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want to begin with just a story. And 
And this is to encourage you and, and, and to think about it. Brother, I was intimidated. I walked into the place and I saw two pulpits in my church. I don't even have one anymore. I didn't know where to go, so I hope it's okay. If not, I promise after Wednesday I'll leave. Um, I want to encourage you this week uh, uh, to get the word out and to share with people about revival. Friend, if there's ever been a time in our nation, ever been a time in our society that we need revival, it is now. I don't drop a lot of names, but I, I was really, I was really uh, blessed this Thursday. I got to hang out and make a new friend. His name is Mike Huckabee, and maybe you've heard of him. And, uh, and we got to spend some time together. We were talking about what was going on in our nation. And he said, you know, he said, what's happened? It's not that the world has gotten so bad. The world has always been bad. Did you know that? He said, but the church has gotten so quiet. And he talked about fishermen. He talked about the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee that they would bring those fish into the shore. And this was before the days of, uh, of refrigeration, before the days of those cool Yeti coolers and all kinds of things. And the only way to preserve their fish, now think about this, the only way to preserve their society, their way of, of making a living, their, 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 their everything was in this preservation which took place with the salt. And he said immediately when the, when the fish came out of the water, they would apply the salt and they would make sure that that salt would penetrate the fish. And he said because of this, because immediately those fish would begin to rotten without the salt. And he said, you know, the church has begun talking so much about the rottenness of the world. And every person in this room can identify. You've watched the news. You understand what's going on. And you would say, yes, the world is getting more rotten by the day. But the word of God says this. That that's exactly what happens when the salt has lost its savor. So I want to encourage you to get the word out. And my prayer, and then I'm going to get back and get into the message very quickly. My prayer is by the end of the week, we'll be loving on one another. and We'll be blessed. And we'll just be experiencing a time of revival. And we'll just just turn this little old world upside down for Jesus. But I'm kind of reminded. Everybody's got to tell a story because I want you to be to be my friend. Um, and I'm reminded of the story about the young preacher and I consider myself a young preacher. I'm kind of middle-aged, but anyway, and he went to a church. It was back in the day before air conditioning. How many of you remember church before air conditioning? How many of you are thankful for air conditioning? Amen. Me too. <laughs> And uh, this preacher was so excited, and, and he wanted uh, to have the church packed every day of this revival. And 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 he was he said he said guys, I want to open the doors and open the windows, and I want the whole community to hear that we're having a revival. Man, he got to preach it. Had all of his deacons and his elders of the church that were there, and they were sitting on the front row, and man, they were with him. And said he began preaching about how the world needed Jesus, and he said, and, and he was one of those preachers that sing. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> And he started singing. He said, open those doors and open them wide. Let those sinners come inside. Then, oh, and, and all the deacons said, oh, they're right with you, you know. And he preached a little bit more. And he said it again, open them doors and open them wide. Let those sinners come inside. Again, the deacons, oh, right with you. Well, there were two old fellows across the street. and They were bricklayers. and They were building a house. One of them kind of took offense. You know, not everybody wants to be invited to church. And they kind of took offense and one brick later said to the other, he said, if he says that again, I'm going to hit him right between the eyes with this brick. Well, the preacher, he just kept on preaching and sure enough, got to that point again and said, open them doors and open them wide. Let those sinners come inside. And about that time, that brick came flying through the doors, hit that preacher square between the eyes. He fell back across the flowers, like to knock the candles over, you know, right there in the church. But he, he didn't miss a lick. He kind of came to his senses and he said, shut those doors and shut them quick. Some old sinner done chunked a brick. So, so my prayer this week 
is that you wouldn't feel like chunking bricks at me by the time it's over. All right? I want to share with you three things this morning. Now I've got your attention. Everybody's smiling. You look like you're glad to be here. Not near as hungry as you were just a few minutes ago. All right? Look with me. Three things, and I will be brief this morning. Three things that Jesus says to these fishermen. Three things that Jesus would say to each of us today. And beloved, if there's one message that we need to hear as the church, one message that we need to hear as the body of Christ, it is this. Notice with me the first invitation that Jesus gives to these fishermen. These unlikely servants. These who did not go looking for Jesus, but He came looking for them. Number one, he said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Too many times within our denominations and too many times within our church, we're trying to create a group of people who will come and belong, come and join, come and be members. But Jesus' invitation was not that to a building. It was not that to a group or denomination, but it was personally to come and to follow Him. It's important that we understand there are some conditions of following Christ. If you are here today and your heart's desire is to follow Christ, understand it is not going to be easy and there are going to be some conditions. The Bible says this in Matthew 16 and verse number 24. In Matthew's Gospel, 16th chapter and verse number 24 says this, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There are some conditions. Number one, the first condition of following Jesus is salvation. You say, well, preacher, I understand that. But you know there are many people that I meet on a daily basis and they think it's a pretty cool idea, this thing of following Christ. And they like the idea of living a moral life. They like the idea of the things of God. But they do not like the idea of truly surrendering their heart and life to Jesus. Friend, we cannot follow Christ until first we have been set free from our sins and first we come into a personal encounter and a personal relationship with the Christ of heaven the conditions of following number one salvation number two sanctification now that's one of those old religious sounding words but basically what that means is denial of self you see these fishermen they literally were turning from everything they knew they were from turning from their way of life their own families their own homes and they understood if i'm going to follow christ it is a matter of commitment number one there are conditions number two there are going to be some costs what are the costs going to be? Jesus tells in Luke's gospel, you know, the birds will have nests. Foxes will have holes. But I, the Son of Almighty God, many nights will have no place to lay my head. I wonder, when was the last time you and I gave up something for Jesus? When was the last time that we realized truly, if I'm going to serve Christ, it is going to cost me something. We understand that salvation is a free gift. But beloved, as we are saved and as we make that decision to follow Christ, we need to go into it understanding that yes, it is a free gift, but serving Christ is going to cost us much. It may cost us some relationships. It may cost us some possessions. It may cost us some hobbies and some habits and, and, and some other things in our life. And I wonder today, do we truly understand the cost of following 
Sometimes, I don't know how it is in your church, but we have this thing called the nominating committee. And nobody wants to serve on the nominating committee because you've got to go to people and ask them to serve. Years ago, we had a chairman of our nominating committee. And he would go to folks and said, listen, if you'll just let me put your name down in, in the nominating committee report, I promise we won't ask you to do much. And I found out about that. And I went to this person. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, that's the only way I can get people to agree to do something. I said, but basically they're agreeing to do something with the promise that at the end they'll have to do nothing. And beloved, many people come to Christ saying, well, I want all of the benefits of salvation, but I'm not willing to put any effort into it. What are the costs? I was talking to a father recently, and he said, Preacher, I've had it with my son. He said, he's sorry. And I said, man, that's awful. What a terrible thing to say about your son. He said, well, I'm just, I'm just telling you I've had it with him. He said he simply does nothing around the house. He comes in and he just wants to lay around and lay around on the couch and he wants to eat my food. He wants to sleep in the bed that we provide him. He wears the clothes that we provide him. We've got him the fanciest cell phone. We bought him a car and everything. But he, he just wants all the blessings of being my son, yet he's not willing to contribute anything. And beloved, it broke my heart because as I sat there trying to listen to this father, all I could think about was what the heavenly father must think at times of his children. All I've done for them, I gave them my only begotten son. I've given them salvation. I've given them all the blessings of life. And yet when I ask of them to serve and when I ask of them to give, in an average church only about 20% are doing that. And I don't know your church from anything except for a few folks. But I know my church. Imagine if 100% of the church would say, I want to be committed. I don't care the cost. I don't, I don't care what it's going to cost me. I want to be all in. This would be revival this week. The conditions of following, the cost of following. But thirdly, there are going to be some consequences. I want you to think about this. What are the consequences both of following Christ and not following Christ? Listen, when we think about the consequences of following Christ, we think about people who literally have the power and the ability to change the lives of of others. I was eight years old and a Christian school teacher shared the gospel with me, shared how much God loved me, that he gave his only begotten son for me. And she invited her to the class if we would like to talk more about this to come back to her desk during our nap time. And as the other kids put their head on the desk, I kind of looked around to make sure that nobody was looking. You know, that's why the preachers always say at the invitation, every eye closed and every head bowed with no one looking around, you know. Because people are more likely to respond to the invitation. And I walked back there and this teacher led me to Jesus. I remember as an eight-year-old little boy understanding enough to know what it meant to be saved. And as an eight-year-old little boy realizing that I had to mind my mama. And I had to mind my daddy. But now there was someone else that I had to mind. And it was the very God of heaven that loved me so very much. I'm thankful that on that day that Christian school teacher followed the Lord's leading and led us into a time of sharing the gospel and of praying to receive Christ as my Savior. I oftentimes wondered if she had not done that. If other people would not have invested in my life and in your life. Listen, you're here today because someone loved you enough to get you here. Maybe when you were younger, maybe when you were older, you see there are consequences of following the Lord. But there are also consequences of not following. The greatest example of this is the children of Israel. When they went into the promised land, everything was just as God had said it would be. And then they took a vote. 
It's the first committee we find in the Bible. And the vote came back 10 to 2. And they voted to disobey God. No one ever questioned whether or not they felt led that God was leading them to do this. They simply counted the cost and voted no. My prayer this week is as, as Christ himself speaks to our heart, come, follow me. We would not count the cost, but we would realize the consequences. And we would say, as did Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Jesus said first, come, follow me. How do we do this? Very briefly, following Christ is just like following somebody here in just a little bit. Um, any of you remember um, there was a program on back when I was a kid? Um, Winnie uh, Cooper and y'all remember them? What was the name of that show? Wonder Years. You must be about my age. I love that. And, and Brian and Kathy, whenever I think of them, I always think of the Wonder Years. So, so I always say Kevin and Winnie. But it's Brian and Kathy. But anyway, because Arnold. Anyway, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to their house and we're going to have steak and lobster, I think. And, and is that, that is the plan, right? No, that's supper tonight. That's supper. But after church tonight or whenever it is. And then somebody, who's taking me for ice cream? No, seriously, somebody emailed me and said they wanted to take me out for ice cream. Okay. But anyway, and, and you know, whenever, whenever you're following somebody, what do they say to you? They say, listen, stay close. Keep your eye on me. And do everything I do. That's what it looks like to follow Christ. Stay close. Keep your eye on Him. And whatever He does, you do. Number two. Number two. Not only is this, is this, is this invitation to come, follow me, but secondly, the invitation is this. Jesus says, and I will make you. Now, don't, under, don't, don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that he manipulates us and he forces us to conform to his will. But he's saying, don't worry. I've got this. Don't worry. I can handle this. Don't, don't, don't look at your inabilities. And, and don't look at your, uh, you know, your qualifications. These fishermen knew nothing about evangelism. These fishermen knew nothing about faith in Christ. These fishermen knew nothing about the calling that Christ had placed on their life. Yet somehow they had the courage to follow. Would they make mistakes? Would they at times deny Christ? Would they at times flee from His presence? Yes. But they understood that there was something about this man who could do in and through them more than they could even imagine. One of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures is found in Ephesians chapter 3. I'll read this to you, two verses. Ephesians 3 beginning in verse number 20. The word of God says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power of God that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. This is a promise that whatever we can vision, whatever we can dream, whatever we can imagine for our spiritual life, Christ says, listen, I've got something even better. When I was a little boy, I had a great aspiration. I wasn't like little boys who wanted to be a Major League Baseball player, although I probably could have if it wouldn't have been for my talent level. <laughs> I wasn't one of these little boys that wanted to grow up and be a a professional singer, although I could have if it wouldn't have been for my singing ability. But my goal, my dream, I wanted to grow up and work on the back of a trash truck. 
I loved it. Thursday morning, they would come and they would take the trash and they would empty it into the back of this truck and work those levers and it would disappear. And I just thought it would be the coolest job in the world. I remember during the summer getting up early on Thursday morning and sitting on my grandmother's front porch just waiting for that big truck to round the corner. It was the highlight of my week. Can't you imagine that the God of heaven was amused at his little preacher boy saying, I just want to be a trash man when I grow up. And God saying, oh son, I've got something so much better. If you're here today and you happen to be a trashman, that was not intended to insult you at all. Listen, you get to go buy more houses than I do. Just share Jesus as you do. Here it is. Jesus says, I'm going to make you into something, guys. I love all the children. I love to see a church with kids. And you're blessed. Most churches don't have children and youth anymore. But as we look at them, we can only imagine what God has in store for them. That He would entrust such a wicked time in this world to them. That He would trust them to be light in the midst of such darkness. Wow, I can't wait to see. And I would say to them, God has an amazing plan for you. But you might be here today and you might be 87 and a half years old and thinking that your best years are all behind you. Oh no, friend. God is still saying to you, I've got great plans for you. Think about the endowments of our Lord. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God shall provide and shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. What is He going to provide? His presence, His power, His provision. Just the very fact that we have Him within our lives. He's endowing us everything. He is encouraging us when Jesus gave the great commission. The very last thing He said after He said, Go. And baptize and be my disciples and make disciples. He said, and lo, I am with you. And then thirdly, he gives us his emboldenedness. Philippians 4 also says, and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What has Christ given to you and me? You know, we think about the life that we have in him and how empty we are without him and how full we can be with him. I love to see someone who has truly had an experience with Christ. Not just the church, not just to walk the aisle, but they truly met the master. And you see, they are a new person. <clears throat> Many years ago, there was a young man and his father. And they shared a passion for collecting famous works of art. They were fairly affluent and they could have the best of the best. And their home was adorned with the, the most beautiful paintings and portraits imaginable. Every so often getting a new one and bringing it and placing it on the wall and the father and the son would just stand and admire it. War broke out in the nation and the young son was called into duty. Some time would pass and the father would have a knock at the door with the word that his son had been tragically killed. That home seemed very dark and lifeless from that point on. A few years would pass and the father would learn much about his son's death and how his son had died while saving the life of another soldier. One day there came another knock at the door and it was a young soldier standing there with a package in his arms. He asked if he could come in and he was invited in. The young soldier explained that he was the man that lived because the son, the old man's son, the soldier had died. He said, your son took my death. He died so that I could be here today. He died so that I could live. He said, sir, I'm not an artist, but I'm a bit of an amateur, I guess. 
And he unveiled this very amateur painting of a young soldier boy, and the father knew just who it was. That's my boy. That's my son, the father said. And he took it and he hung it above the mantel, and from that time on, that became his favorite work of art, although compared to the rest, it was worthless. The old man grew weak and ill and died. Excitement spread across the art world because they knew there would be a large auction coming up and and on a particular Saturday, people flew in and came in from all places. Oh, Rembrandt, Picasso, beautiful. Oh, they couldn't wait to begin the bidding. And the auctioneer announced that the bidding would begin in just a few moments and they brought the first painting and put it on an easel and it was a, a painting, a rather amateurish painting of a Young soldier. Auctioneer said the bidding now will begin on this. One heckler hollered from the back and said, What? We're not here for that. That's worthless. Let's get to the good stuff. No, he said, according to the old man's will, this has to go first. Finally, a dear lady spoke up and said, I think it's beautiful. I'll give ten for it. I have a bid of ten. Any more bids anywhere, anywhere? Any other bids? Any other increase? Any other bids anywhere, anywhere? And nobody said a word. Finally, the auctioneer placed the gavel down and said, sold for the amount of ten. Then he announced that the auction had ended. It's all over, he said. What do you mean it's all over? It's just begun. We're here, we've come, and we're, we're waiting. What do you mean it's all over? And the auctioneer explained, according to the Father's will, you see, whoever took the Son, he gets it all. Friend, may I say something to you today? Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for you. The Bible says that He freely gave us His Son and that God would freely give us all things. Do not limit your walk with the Lord by simply saying, well, I have salvation and I'm going to heaven when I die. There is so much more that the Heavenly Father wants for you. So much more that He wants to do in and through your life. He says, I will make Number three, and we'll close. The third thing Jesus says to these fishermen and to you and me today, number one, he says, come, follow me. Number two, I will make you. But thirdly, he says, fish for men. Fish for men. He doesn't tell us to build buildings. All the buildings are wonderful if they can serve him. He doesn't tell us just to come together and worship, although worship is so very important to helping us praise him and and feed our own souls. But ultimately, the desire for the Heavenly Father in your life and in my life is that we fish for men. Men and women, boys and girls that are literally never going to know what heaven is about unless we tell them. Never going to know what grace is about unless we show them. As we close, let me give you three lessons in fishing. If you're a fisherman, you'll understand this. Number one, fish... Seldom jump in your boat. Amen? I'm not a fisherman. If I want to go fishing, I'll go to the fish house, right? And I'll order it up the way I want it. Cut out the, you know, the middleman and all the messiness, you know? But if you're a fisherman, you know that you've got to do more than put the boat in the water. You know you've got to do more than just stand on the pier. You know you've got to do more than just go down to the shore. Fish seldom jump in the boat. No matter how eloquent our pastors are, No matter how wonderful our music, and it has been wonderful this morning. 
no matter how inviting and beautiful our buildings, fish seldom jump in the boat. That's why Jesus said it's our job to go fish for men. What we do in this building is so very important, but not near as important as what we do out of this building. Number one, fish seldom jump in the boat, cast your net. Number two, a question. Do you love fishing? Do you? I've got some fishermen in my church. They're semi-professional fishermen, you might say. They've got the boats with the wraps and all those things. And, you know, their boat costs more than their house, that kind of stuff. And one of them said to me a while back, said, I just love fishing. Pastor, I just love fishing. I said, really? He said, oh man, I get out early in the morning. He said, put that boat out in the lake or in the river and I just go off. Sometimes just right by myself. I love the smell early in the morning. There's just something about being out there on the water. The feel of that boat, you know, the horsepower and all the men go. <laughs> he said, I find some, some little cove or some place. And he said, preacher, now get this, don't miss it. He said, I love fishing so much. Be honest, it really doesn't matter to me whether I catch any fish or not. Wow. And, and I thought about, it's kind of like church. I just love church. Man, I just love coming to church and, and seeing all my, my friends and my family. I love this time of year because the lake church begins really picking up and, and people are there more and more, people I hadn't seen. Man, I just love the fellowship. I love the music, the old hymns of the faith. Those kids bless my heart. I love that in Christ alone, I was singing with them off key. But when they got to that hymn, man, they, something about those old hymns, they came to life and you could hear voices picked right up. I love those, those beautiful old hymns. Man, I understand in just a minute we're going to eat. Amen. Amen. I, I, I can see it in their eyes. By the way, when Jesus was, was taking care of the Samaritan woman, you know, at the well and leading her to, uh, into living water, the, 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 the disciples were all off eating. I'll talk more about that Wednesday night. But anyhow, unless you want me to give you that one too right now. Okay. Think about this. We can love going to church and get to the point that we don't care if we're catching any fish or not. If so, we've severely missed the point. Severely missed the point. Do we love fishing or do we truly love catching fish? And then, thirdly, fishing is messy. Fishing is messy. There's no other way around it. The, the, the easiest way for us to keep our churches nice and tidy and organized is not to catch any fish. Because, see, lost people, they're a mess. Confused people, they're a mess. Hurting people, they're a mess. Seeking people, they're a mess. Oh, but it's worth it, friend. For these fishermen, as we enter into a time of invitation, for these fishermen, they had the most wonderful response. I, I don't know that I would have responded as well as they did. I'd hope I would. But in both cases, it said, and immediately they followed Jesus. Immediately they followed Jesus. Friend, it is April the 24th, 2016. There's a call that is going out. Come, follow me. There's a call that's going out. Let me make you. Let me do something awesome in your life. Come, let's fish for men. But that's all for naught and all for naught. Unless we 
are willing to immediately leave our nets, leave our security, leave our comfortable way of doing things and follow Jesus. Father, I thank you that you invite us to follow you. Unworthy as we are, unqualified as we are, you invite us to follow you. Thank you for a group of men and women and boys and girls that made a decision this morning to come to church. They made the right decision. I'm proud of them for it. But God, I pray in these next moments and in these next few days, many more, even more decisions, more importantly decisions and more significant decisions would be made. May we surrender everything. Our wills to your will. Our desires to your desires. Our life for your life. And may we do so immediately. In the precious and the powerful name. The only name. The name above all names. Jesus Christ I do pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor, thank you. God bless you as we make decisions today. Our invitation this morning to you is framed in the words of number 358 in your hymnal. I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me, but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. 358, if God's speaking to your heart, you do his bidding this morning. That may mean to walk an aisle, it may mean to do something with the Lord right where you sit. Don't equate walking an aisle with necessarily doing business with the Lord. It may be that. But you can trust Jesus right where you are. You can yield to Him right where you are. The point is not where. The point is will you do that? Will you follow Him and be made by Him fishers Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for today. What a what a, an absolute blessing it was and has been and will be to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of laughter and for the fellowship that we have and the encouragement it is to be with believers. And thank you, our Father in heaven, for the words that you spoke through your servant here. And I pray that we'll take those to heart. Father, thank you that you have invited us to come. Thank you that you have a plan for us. Thank you that you will make us fishers of men. You've called us to a plan of action. and We've heard that this morning. Lord, help us each one to be people of action for you, for the glory of God above. We ask you to be with our mission of the day with amazing grace adoptions. Lord, as we heard in the sermon, you have a you have a plan for us. You have a place for us. We have a place for each one of those children as well. You have uh, a tapestry that you're weaving. Every life you've created is important. And you've given us a real opportunity to be hands and feet for them, to be a voice for them, to be hugs for them, and to participate in Amazing Grace Adoptions with prayer 
and with physical support and with financial support. And Lord, thank you for that opportunity. Help us each one to be faithful to what you've called us to do for them. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.